Right, welcome to the Two Sons Podcast. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope all you guys are having a great week. We are breaking down the second episode of season three of Mandalorian today, as well as, do you know which episode? Episode 12. Episode 12 of Bad Batch, which was yes. also a super interesting one. It was and a good the, one, dude. There was an article in Variety about the upcoming film slate Ooh. for Star Wars that I found troubling. Oh. That I want to talk a little bit about with yeah. you as well. We'll probably do that between uh, the two shows. But... Okay. Can't go any further than what I thought was an awesome, epic, unbelievable episode of Mandalorian. Can I say this too first? I one of the things I've really appreciated about Mandalorian is that like casual Star Wars or like casual, not even Star Wars fans can yes. really enjoy it. Like Absolutely. I watched it with Carly last night. Yep. And she enjoyed it every bit as much as I yeah. did. And that was really cool for me, obviously, yeah. as a Star Wars nerd. Who's married to a woman who has to cope with that? A regular yes. person, yeah, like a who's married to a regular woman that <laughs> a, has to a deal normie. with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, you're totally right. Uh, so I watched it twice. I watched actually. Oh shit! I, I watched watch The Mandalorian twice, and then I also watched Episode Twelve twice. Um, oh, and, the Bad Batch. Yeah, and Elena and I were on the couch. And dude, she's very pregnant. We're dude, she's ex- exceedingly. We pregnant. are so close mm-hmm. to having a baby, which Anyways, is why we're going skiing on Sunday. <laughs> which is yes, which may be just a terrible idea. Well, we're going right down the road, and if something happens, we're just going to turn around. Right down the road, four hours yes. away, and then four hours back. Yes. But anyways, eight hours of travel, but right down the road for Jay. Um, <laughs> anyways, you know, to your point, uh, she was she had, actually she hasn't seen the first episode of the season, but she was watching the second second episode, and she was like. Super intrigued by it. She thought she it was hadn't the even seen thing. the first one. Yet? She hadn't even seen the oh. first one, and she was still just like so intrigued. It was easy. Um, it was probably easy for you to set it up for her. Oh, very easy. Perspective. I mean, it's not like a ton happened in the last episode. No, and the thing is, it's like it was a very simple episode. There was only a few characters mm-hmm. in it, really. Yeah. It was all about you know Mando and Bo-Katan, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah, yeah. The, the whole dynamic I thought was really, really cool. I wanted to set the stage just for some of the more casual Star Wars fans who don't understand some of the Spoiler historical alert. background. So, uh, yeah, exactly. So, uh, the planet of Mandalore was a, uh, a, basically a collection of dome cities and it used to be like a green lush natural landscape. Yeah. But during the wars between the Mandalorians and the Jedi, there was a, something called a cataclysm. This is all canon, by the way, this is all deliberately kept vague by Dave Filoni and the storyboard crew because they want to keep it open if they want to kind of round that out at a later date but basically uh during the cataclysm everything on the surface of the planet just got completely like excoriated and then they move into the dome cities and then essentially what happens is is during Bo-Katan's uh brief occupation Darth Maul's brief occupation eventually the clones under Ahsoka in the Uh final four episodes of Clone Wars recapture Mandalore from uh, Darth Maul, but the clone garrison that's there ends up essentially being an imperial occupation. Uh, they have some fights that we see in Rebels uh, um, between clans that are loyal to the Empire versus clans that are not. Yes, I forgot and eventually, about that. And eventually, that was wild. Yes, those Mandalorians whole... in particular looked really cool because it was like a combination of Mando armor with like stormtrooper armor, really with like dope. red logos and stuff. Yes, yes. So, so they basically have a bunch of uh, essentially turmoil and rebellion, and the Empire, well, specifically the Empire get, or the Emperor, gets to the point where he's like, "Screw this! I want you guys to just destroy the planet." So. He yeah. sets up TIE bombers with fusion bombs, which are basically nukes, and nukes the entire planet 
And all of the sand that was on yes. the surface essentially melted into glass. Into glass. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what has set the stage here is like millions of Mandalorians died. There's they call it the Night of a Thousand Tears. They call it the Purge. There was uh there were fields of Mandalorian recruits that were fighting on the ground that were just shot down by Imperial gunships. It was like a nasty like destruction of a planet entirely, which is in 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 that species, which we learn from Bo-Katan in the episode, yeah, is basically the only group that survived. The Alamites, yes, the Alamites, yes. and apparently they used to live on the outskirts of the town. So, do you think because there was definitely a, like a little green eye theme happening with like the little dragon that attacked Grogu, irradiated? Yes, yes. not the whole time. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, that so, was where I went the whole time. I thought yeah. that was deliberate. Okay, I thought it was too. Mm-hmm. I, I I was just I just wanted to make sure we were on the same page there. Because did that like, bother you at all though? The concept of like oh the air's got oxygen in it it's breathable and not accounting for the obvious like oh like like radiation radiation fallout exuding out of like all the glass yes yeah you know it does but it's star wars we don't know yeah exactly (laughs) or maybe their mandalorian suits reflect all that stuff or maybe everybody in the entire galaxy is completely irradiated yes it's just a lot next episode grogu just has like an arm coming off of his head mando's like yeah we messed up big time we messed sorry grogu I I admired you know it was funny because like I um one of the things that I that really resonated with me personally just with some of the m- many conversations surrounding religion I've had over the course of my lifetime not just the religion I grew up in but like the half dozen different religions that I explored when I was younger like there that scene where they're at the living waters yeah and when and obviously Dude, we have a bunch so of other cool. stuff to get into but no that, that was scene one of my favorite scenes though I know where you're going she basically is like look dude see it's bullshit. Yep. You know, and what was so interesting to me about that is like it was such a perfect description of the uh, balance between f- like unwavering faith. Yeah. And, you know, what your logical mind wants you to think, because like whatever she thought she was going to get through, Bo-Katan. Mm-hmm. whatever she thought she was going to get through to Din Djarin in that moment, he was like, screw this. Just this is exactly what I needed. Exactly. Here, I'm going to go in and baptize myself. Yeah. And I'll be good. Like, cool. Thanks. And, Thanks, Bo-Katan. You and know, it like, was he didn't super care. cool. And what was yeah. it was what was neat about it is like she she kind of makes fun of the fact that there's like a little plaque set up and she's like giving him like essentially like the national parks tour of what is Mandalore. And then that was funny. as as he's entering the water, she's just dead still, dead quiet. And then she realizes she's like, actually, there is something that's powerful. There is something that's divine about this. And it was really cool to see her change because she's got this huge chip on her shoulder. Like, look, there's nothing magical about Mandalore. There's nothing magical about us. What made us great was we were just a powerhouse and we're warriors and we're smart. Yeah, it's a cultural right? thing. Yeah. It's a cultural thing. For her, it was all culture because she grew up in it. It wasn't a big deal. And uh, for for other Mandalorians who haven't even set eyes on those on those mines or those the living waters, like you know, it was such a huge deal for Din. Like he he felt like he was getting his entire life back, mm-hmm. which was dope. He thought that that wasn't even possible. He thought that the entire uh, planet of Mandalore was a wasteland at that point. And then he he slowly got to realize throughout the episode, oh my gosh, I'm going to get my life back, or at least he thinks. Now who knows what that invo- uh, evolves into, right? We don't know if. We're gonna see Pedro's face, Jay. For your sake, I hope we see. Yeah, I, it's I gotta happen. It's gotta happen. <laughs> but not to get too far ahead, but we see a mythosaur, which was 
freaking sick. Well, yeah, it so was incredible. Let's let's get into the myth store and then we can yeah. go into some of the smaller things because this is obviously the crescendo of the episode yes. and it's presumably going to be the I major plot point. Jumped the, the gun. Episode. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I'm stoked. No, no, you're it. good. Was, this is it yeah, incredible. Like, it's it, it is the top topic of the entire episode yes. in my opinion, and like. The um so like in canon the mythosaur is exactly what uh um Bo-Katan read off the plaque. That's basically all that's considered canon. Like it, we know it's the logo uh, of yeah. the Mandalorians in general. And we've but, seen like, that with um with Boba Fett, mm-hmm. right? Like we've seen that logo since we've grown up as kids. Yes. Yeah. And then we saw um what's his name Quill Quill in season one the the Ugnaught. He uh, says, like, your ancestors rode the mythosaur. You're a Mandalorian. He's doing that to kind of jazz him up. So there's, like, these loose references to it, but there's not a whole lot. So essentially in Legends, uh, what the mythosaur – well, in canon, essentially Mandalore the Great, yeah, the first Mandalore, rode the mythosaur. And that was, like, his big claim to fame that allowed him to rise up the ranks of the the Mandalorians. Which every good sci-fi show has a little bit of a dragon theme going on. Yes, (laughs) exactly. And so, uh, basically, in Legends, the Mandalorians conquered Mandalore with swords and axes. Badass. Okay? And they did so, and in the process, had to take the planet from mythosaurs that ruled the planet. Yeah. And so, essentially, when the Mandalorians captured the planet, they had to go to war with the mythosaurs... And kill them in droves and drove them underground. Jeez. And so there were some of them that survived, but they survived underground. And then Mandalore the Great was the one that actually went to that the living waters and actually. <laughs> I'm gonna ride one. this. Yes. So do you think Bo Katan just thought, hey, there's actually no thing, no no such thing as a mythosaur. This is all just legends. Or do you think she just thought it was so far removed in their past that it wasn't a big deal? I'm sure she just thought they were extinct. Okay. When, so I almost got the vibe that she was just like, oh, yeah, those are just ghost stories. That's thousands of years ago where it doesn't even matter anymore. And because, and, you know, like because in Star Wars, like it's such a big it's such a big universe. that's like big things get missed. Like we see uh, even Han Solo. Han Solo doesn't believe in the Jedi. Exactly. Yeah. Even though it's like well-known fact, like the galaxy is massive. Right. And like it, it would be so easy for uh, for stories just to like just explode you know, with like lighter fluid, like, oh yeah, like, you know, man, like, like Jedi, for example, like, yes, they're, they're magic per se, but like they have their limits. Right. Mm. But I'm sure there's, there's, you know, stories about Jedi just doing absurd things. They talk about the Jedi in a very mythological sense during the like season two when, um, when Mando's trying to talk to the the armorer and yeah. like they're having their conversations, oh, yeah, yeah. it's like they tell tales of an ancient sect of force wielders or whatever you know yeah. of sorcerers called sorcerers, Jedi. Like yeah, yeah, that that's a mythological right. thing too. But to, to your point though, that thing can Bo-Katan. get lost in time. Yeah, and I yeah. get that vibe with uh, with um, Bo Katan because like it seems like she's just like oh yeah, those are all just ghost stories. Mm. Those are all just legends. I uh, but this, the mythosaur thing is super fascinating to me. Uh, I, I have one I had one thing that I was confused about so. Are we to assume that he was he took off his jetpack? Yeah. So he had no propulsion. Uh huh. And he was walking down the steps, and he took one step too far, and he just <laughs> fell. Dude, I don't know. I I don't know. Or I the think mythosaur grabbed the myth. No, but the mythosaur was very much like chilling when yes. they sco- skied, went by him. But Bo-Katan was moving through the uh, the water 
Uh, she dove down at yes. first, but when she was on her way up, she did it with a jetpack. So like, I think it might have well, been. Well, she simple... jetpacked down to him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But like, but like theoretically, she could she could have sunk at a certain rate. Oh, I see. But like, they're they're way down in like Beskar armor. So like that kind of made sense to me. Like he was walking yes. down the steps, and then all of a sudden he took one step too far, and he just woof. <laughs> and I, like, yeah. and then she must have known like, oh shit, he's not getting out of there without his jetpack. Right. But dude, that scene where she just dropped everything she was doing and jumped in was so cool. epic. So oh. cool. And so and I wish that um, I know that that scene needed to happen somehow. But the way it happened was just like hilarious. Like Din Djarin, like the ultimate badass, right? Like he can get himself out of anything except for he drowned himself oh because he was wearing all of his armor and then just sank to the bottom of like what looked to be probably a hundred feet of water. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but yeah, I think he sank. I don't think anything like grabbed him, even though it looked like something grabbed him. Um, dude, the details, like we always talk about the details in star Wars and they just knock it out of the park time and time again. It was so cool when Bo Katan was like jetpacking down to him and she's unable to see him. So she thinks, Oh, I need to turn off my light to see this man better. Right. So mm-hmm. then she turns it off and then sees Din's like little like headlight. And then she finds him that way. And that was like so cool. But yeah, the mythosaur uh, looked very much so uh, at peace with with the Mandalorian. It looked like and, it was surprised. Yes. Yeah. And it was like interested and and not even close to looking like it was going to attack them, uh, which was a really interesting dynamic. And I'm super curious. Like I cannot wait for the next episode. I'm really to curious to see where they go with that. Did you also notice, so the other thing too, is like, what are your thoughts on Din Djarin wielding the Darksaber? And then what are your thoughts on Bo-Katan wielding the lightsaber and how much more efficient she is with wielding it? Well, so let's let's talk about this specific dynamic because this was one of the big dynamics that sat over the entire episode. It was very clear. They demonstrated uh, Din Djarin's lack of proficiency with the yes. weapon versus Bo-Katan's proficiency yes. with the weapon. So the backstory here is, um, Sabine Wren in Rebels gifts the Darksaber to Bo-Katan and she takes it. Um, all of the, the sub, most of the sub-clans get super pissed off at Bo-Katan because they view that as like sacrilege, right. right? Including the children of the Watch. So it ends up being this big, this big deal. And in the process, uh, she ends up losing Mandalore to uh uh to um Darth Maul, right? So the all, the way the whole thing is painted is she was cursed, right? Yeah. Which by the way, she clearly believes because at True, the end of the season curse. 2 of the Mandalorian, uh uh Dinjar attempts to give her the dark saber again and she's yeah. like Right. Like she she believes it now. She believes it at now. At least that specific part. Well, and she believes that she cannot get any hold on anybody else. So you think it's more had- from the point of influence? I think yeah. I think Bo-Katan has a softer spot for the uh, religion of Mandalore than she actually Let's on. puts out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I think part of it is that that sacred nature of of their beliefs, and then part of it is the fact that she literally had people exiting her castle in droves because she didn't have the dark saber. Mm-hmm. The now that's going to be the 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 key kind of like swing piece here because. They clearly demonstrate Din Djarin is not very good with the weapon. Yeah, terrible. The entire episode, so essentially from a plot standpoint, um, uh, Din Djarin, who continues to get himself stuck in, in in messes, goes down into the mines of Mandalore and gets captured by this really 
freaking gnarly, weird General Grievous round yes. two. He sounded like, exactly like General General Grievous. Yeah, and it's clearly yeah. some sort of organic being that is clinging to life through all of this, you know, droid mechanical stuff. It's so cool. And he's got like a large kind of like mech suit, and then he's yes. all that's like a spider, and then he's also it's got like his crab. like little mini spider. Dude, it was suit. so creepy, and I loved every second. Of it. Yeah, it was a little CGI then, for me, but it wasn't it bad. Was. It, it felt wasn't, a, it felt just slightly not Star Wars, but I was giving it a pass. I totally agree. And then uh, the other part that was like really weird is like his head detaches then, and he can just like scroll yeah, like his around, little like, brain. Yeah, he had three <laughs> little like he like he had like three final forms. It he, was so cool. But like he uh, uh, so uh, he captures Din. Uh, Din at the last minute tells Grogu like you need to go get Bo-Katan. Yes, it was really cool because like they set up throughout the first two episodes the way that Din Djarin had been teaching him how to navigate and yeah. showing him the things and and Grogu runs out of the building and shoves one of the uh, uh, creepy the, the Alamites and then gets in the, the ship and points to the nav thing and <laughs> R5 takes him to go see Bo-Katan and, yes. and then Bo-Katan of course was like he's a lot tougher than he looks actually but um, I, I thought it was cool too when Bo-Katan was coming down with uh, Grogu and walking around and she's just like you know, it didn't always look like this. And it was yeah. like a complete uh, like mirror image of the conversation they had. But so Bokatan on the way through the mines just just destroys everyone. Yes. Like epic fighting scene like you wouldn't believe. So they're definitely hard pointing towards this whole like who's going to lead the Mandalorians. Right. It's going to be Din or, or Bokatan. Right. And the, the here's the thing that's tricky. I don't think Din Djarin necessarily wants to lead totally agree. i think he wants to be redeemed and i think he wants to join his covert i totally agree and i think that Bokatan wants more than anything else in the world and it's important to re- reference this as well Bokatan Kree's from clan Kree's is her family lineage is royalty right and even going back further than that mandalore at the time of the clone wars was a bustling like peaceful society right and they actually exiled all the obsessive uh war warring clans to concordia the moon including the children of the watch yep and so it was like this because they're like we're warriors we're made to fight why are we why are we being peaceful exactly and so there's it, it there's they her like entire life purpose has surrounded her family yes in the way that they brought peace to Mandalore and how they led their people to, you know, that time of prosperity. So, like, yes. she has such a real purpose there. Yeah. And so that's going to be the the big conflict of the show is, are they going to give the keys of this whole thing? Because it just, I part of me goes, I have a really hard time believing that they're going to take the Darksaber away from Din Djarin and have him just kind of fall into the background. No, I totally but agree. Then, Bo-Katan is clearly like the right person for the job. So yes. like I wonder I wonder how they're going to reconcile that. Do you have yes. a theory? Yes, I do. So big question for me and I'm gonna, I pr- I promise I'm going to answer that question. Big question for me is is Bo-Katan in our eyes from from Din Djarin's eyes good or bad? And I think she's actually good at this point. Um the other thing too though is is I think that she can get the dark saber without Din Djarin just going off into the background. I really do because I, I think probably what's going to happen is Din is probably going to get his butt kicked at some point. He's probably going to lose the dark saber and then Bo-Katan's probably going to kick whoever's ass who took it from Din. And I think that's how she is going to obtain the dark saber without turning on. Din but Jan. that kind of happened. 
in the spider. Like that was it did. You're that totally was super right. Super interesting because You're I don't totally know if right. you noticed that because like technically it was on the ground. The spider won it by combat from Dinjarin. Yes. yes. And then Bo-Katan won it by combat from the spider, and they were really deliberate about showing him pick up that lightsaber and clip it on his hilt afterwards and like kind of like alternating between her face and his like yeah. it was that that was deliberate and i and yeah. they're, they're you're definitely this i but i'm with you i think they're going to find a way to reconcile that without them necessarily fighting I to, I totally, or at least not lethally fighting not lethal and the, the other thing too is again the dark saber fights whoever owns it if if they're not like truly using it properly and we're seeing that Din Djarin cannot handle this thing. Like, mm. at least on, as soon as she touched it, she literally like undercut the belly of that gi- giant crab spider thing, like cut off two of its legs, and then like severed its head off in the in the span well, of eight seconds. She did. It, she did possess the saber at one point. Like she, th- it's important to. Oh, she. To, like, saying she has training with it. She knows. She's probably specifically trained with it. I thought it was really interesting. Like they made it look like when Din Djarin was trying to use it that he was completely unfamiliar with like the heft of it. Yeah. Did you notice that? But it got worse as he was using it. That's yeah. the thing that's like really interesting is like the the saber is like legitimately fighting him, and and the armorer kind of talks about that when he, when he's training with it. Oh really? Yeah. Like uh, at the end of the last season, actually no, it's actually, it's actually in Boba Fett. Boba, Boba Fett's literally Mandalorian two point five. Like that's yeah. like what Boba Fett actually is. But at the end of Boba Fett, uh, the the armorer is talking about how like it's essentially rejecting Din Djarin. So like again, to, I'll have to, to watch add, that episode again because I don't really remember that part. Yeah, it's towards the end. It's when they're on that like giant like ring, um, like synthetic planet, mm-hmm. and uh, like they're on the underside of the ring, and then and then that's, that's when he ends up fighting the, the yeah, big dude. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. The, I think he's a clan Vizsla. Yeah, it's uh, Paz Vizsla, Paz Vizsla, something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's like just like so many cool parts during this last episode where I was just like, man, that's really really cool. And then again, time and time again, like, man, that was really cool. Man, that was. Really What'd cool. you think of live action Mandalore? Live action Mandalore, really really cool. I and thought so too. So it's funny because uh, Elena, we were sitting on the couch this morning, right? And she's like, I thought Mandalore was more green than this. I'm like, yeah, you've got to understand that it you know is is essentially just decimated by the the empire. Just and like, like I had, I had seen everybody. all those details in the past, but like I wanted to read up on them again just so that we could convey them properly to the audience. Because like, there is like a Mandalore has a very sordid past. Like I, I would look at it like this. Um, there are, I would say, like five or six factions within the um, Star Wars history, mm-hmm. and that kind of like are prevailing, right? Yeah. Like there are. <clears throat> like the Jedi and the Sith. Yep. But there are also the Huts. True. There are also like the um what are the good ones from uh um Boba Fett that are warring with um with Boba Fett. Uh with the tiny faces. I'm blanking on them. The uh Jawas. No. <laughs> it, uh, it starts with a P. It's the Pikes. Oh the Pikes. Pikes like the Pikes the Pikes Syndicate is a big clan. one, right? Like yeah. there's there's um like we were like we've been in the High Republic you have like the Nile but like in yeah. in this particular timeline like I I look at the Mandalorians as a significant faction like the the Mandalorians went to war against the Jedi won and ransacked the Jedi Temple that's a thing that happened in like Star Wars history that's canon so like it 
it's just one of those things where uh, it, I, I look at them. At, they have such a sordid past. I think it's so cool that we're diving into them the way that yeah. we are. It's awesome. I, I'm, I'm loving the live action elements to it all. Like the, you, uh, you can't overstate like what it's like, you know, as a Star Wars fan to just watch like, like they took their sweet time with like his approach vector. Yes. And like with these wide shots of the ship. And I love how they have the ship kind of like, they go to little details, like the ship's kind of like waddling in turbulence as yes. it's coming down. And there's, they're like the, the hurricane systems were weird because they were like ultra high altitude hurricane right. systems, which raining he, in the clouds and then just no rain below, <laughs> which he that basically kind of said it was uh, like issues with the magnetic field. I mean, theoretically too, like, our atmosphere doesn't necessarily behave the way that every other atmosphere does. You're totally you know, right. That yeah. kind of thing. You're totally right. What um, did you think of the opening scene in Tatooine? Oh, uh, with it like was the a Jawas. lot. It was a lot. Like in a very short period of time, there was with the Rodian. So, so much happening. So much like humor. So yeah. Then there's like Grogu randomly does a flip. I know. Like what? The, what you're like what? What is happening right so now? The, the, flip, <laughs> the flip was a little cheesy. Yeah, uh, but I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take the flip. I always, I, I will always take a Grogu flip, Jay. I was, um, I, 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 I said I would accept it because at the end of the day, this has to like. I think they're you developing I, Grogu. Like you would, uh, like I've, I've learned with a flips. lot about this just as I've been working with the volume. Like just because I have like a vision of what a show should look like doesn't properly account for the fact that like it needs to be a monetizable product for the public. Therefore, yeah. like you can't necessarily talk about super obscure things as much. Right. You have to hit mainstream things. You do. I look at that with the movies too. Like at the end of the day, like it's kind of like when you go see Soul or these Pixar movies. There's like this clear, like easy digestible kid element. But then there's also like this easily digestible adult element with yeah, these like jokes and stuff. It's awesome. And that's kind of the way I'm looking at Mandalorian is like it's yeah. it's that's geared towards children, but also for the Star Wars fans. So like yes. there's gotta be some stuff that's gonna kinda like clash between the other for side, sure. you know. For sure. It's it's uh, <clears throat> so the opening scene was awesome, I thought. Again, uh throughout throughout Mandalore Mandalorian the Mandalorian. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Throughout the Mandalorian and even with Bad Batch, um, the visuals have been stunning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so it's really cool to see Din and uh, Grogu flying uh, surrounded by like fireworks. That was like really, really cool. Also, like the idea of planets having like holidays that are specific to the planet is really, really cool. We see it. Boonta Eve. Yeah, Boonta Eve. Uh, and Not then, to be confused with Bunta. I know, I know. Dude, I <laughs> we like, never hear about Bunta. <laughs> no, yeah, Bunta, Bunta Eve is the holiday, I feel like. <laughs> That's the big one. That's when everyone gets drunk. Yeah. Um, Bunta's just the day everyone's hungover as fuck. Yeah, and, and I just thought it was awesome. Just like the, the Jawas are just like, just, they just crack me up. Like I love that like time and time again in, in the Mandalorian series, they're putting so much effort into just like developing the Jawas and how like little crafty they are and how much of a nuisance well, they are. And they just lean into it so hard. And I think they, it's hilarious. They doubled down on that concept from Obi-Wan, which is like yes. the, the selling me the parts you stole from me <laughs> yes, kind of thing. It's, it's like, so oh, funny. Thank, thanks, bro. And then she's like, Sweet. oh, just, just painted a different color so it doesn't look like we just stole it from yeah. you. <laughs> um, but it, so th- it truly, uh, it truly felt like Star Wars. Like I, I was making my coffee and it was on on the TV and I looked over and I just see R5 just sitting there and and I was just like man this is Star Wars like they, they're they're totally capturing what Star Wars is and and uh, you know you're talking about um, the crab guy was a little bit CGI I totally agree but it was it was done elegantly and it I was thought. done it was good CGI it, too. it wasn't 
overload CGI. It still felt like Star Wars. There was still a lot of practical effects where there were still droids moving. Grogu's still very much so like a puppet, and it's obvious when he's like flipping through the air. It's like a little corny. And like, you know, what we've talked about, like, give us the corny Star Wars over crappy CGI that looks like. A yeah, this isn't movie. Dune. Yeah, this, this isn't is, Star yeah, Trek. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So overall, uh, completely knocking it out of the park. I've got a question for you. Okay, let's hear it. Um, do you think we see IG-11? And if so, like what capacity do you think we'll see him again? I don't know. I feel like I feel like the whole IG-11 storyline was a lot to go into for him just to go get R5. So it's possible. Agreed. Um, I really, like they're getting into some of the meat of this storyline way sooner than I expected. I'll, yes. Like when I, when I, when I uh, was queuing up the episode last night and like the description of the episode was like, uh, it was like, the Mandalorian and Grogu. Well, it said like Mandalorian and Grogu. Well, the episode was called The Minds of Mandalore. Yes. And then the description was like Grogu and Din explore the ruins of an ancient planet. Of and a, I was like, a planet. What, or yeah, like, what? a planet. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, well, like this is, they're already going to Mandalore now. No, that's what I thought and, too. And, yeah. and then like, like we, we are at episode two. And they're already strongly hinting at a confrontation over the dark saber, and we're seeing the mythosaur like that. So like, yeah, this is all moving very quickly, which makes me wonder where this is all going. Um, and like, <clears throat> yeah, because he already like we were talking. Sorry, not to cut no, you off, but we were talking like, is the entire season going to be um, Din's journey to go get cleansed in in the living waters? Mm-hmm. Like, no, like it's episode two, and he just did it. Well, there's another serious conversation to be had about like whether or not Mandalore is even worth saving at this point. Like, like yeah. they're like the the entire True. planet is covered in weird magnetic field storms. The surface of the planet is blitzed from a millennia ago. Blitzed is instant, a good word. Yeah, blitzed. Yeah, the subsurface is like even that. Even above the surface has been nuked into oblivion. Uh-huh. Uh, the the actual uh, dome cities themselves have descended into a ruin and are now populated by flesh-eating <laughs> monsters. I don't know if you caught that too. They eat them. Yes. And so it's like at a certain point, what exactly, especially when you look into Mandalorian culture and it's like, I understand that it's important to them because they conquered the mythosaur there, but it's like, right. it just is not worth saving. And you saw, we saw on Kalevala, like there are planets in the Mandalorian system that appear to be habitable and in good shape. Dude, you know? so that's an interesting thought that I had myself and I'm so glad you brought it up. I think... If you actually think about it, Mandalore, if it's livable, if it's habitable, I think has actually a ton of positives for for the Mandalorians, actually, because it's it's now a little bit of a wasteland. And now there are things like uh, crazy turbulent storms um, that people have to fly through. The magnetic fields are jacking up what is modern um, equipment for, for navigation. Like, I think that that actually, if the Mandalorians can get used to that and, and figure out technology around that, I think that actually could strengthen. It's a very strengthen. easily defended planet. It's an easily defendable planet now, I think. So, uh, it, again, it's just like a really fun concept to think about and, and super curious to see if they tap into that because, I mean, how cool would that be? It's like, no, like Mandalore is actually stronger than ever because of this. Like, 
and then and then they could actually defend their themselves because their equipment then could be geared towards you know insane magnetic fields that don't make sense other other places. It's an interesting point. I I would be totally down for Mandalore becoming reestablished. Um, yeah. I know that's kind of a confusing plot element at that point in the timeline, but I'd, I'd be cool with it. It could happen. Uh, did you have anything else from this episode you wanted no, to No, that was it. So before we move into uh, Bad Batch, uh, there was a, a, a story that came out in... Oh, yeah, um, I'm nervous for this. I haven't seen this. So basically, they've shelved everything. Um, there are zero Star Wars movie projects that are currently under production. Okay. Um, there is hmm. still a movie slot in 2025 that is still being occupied, but like for it being almost the middle of 2023 and not being in production yet and not green lit yet, that's concerning. Yeah. They did say that they were going to, um, they did say that they were going to kind of have like an announcement about the direction of the cinematic portion of, of the Star Wars universe in April. So okay. there's that. That's so coming up. Yeah. Soon. That's for Star Wars celebration or whatever. Okay. Um, so we will learn more there, but this is, this is what's concerning to me. The TV stuff is moving. Like we have Mandalorian right now, apparently, um, uh, Ahsoka's coming out this summer. Okay. And then presumably this fall we'll have, uh, season two of Andor. So like the, we're going to have lots of television stuff to get into and that's sure. great. The Acolyte is still greenlit and it, for, to my knowledge has been produced, uh, or is, uh, has been under production. So we'll probably see an Acolyte trailer. Yeah. Which I have some thoughts there because like um, the Acolyte is based in the High Republic era. Dope. Which is during a time when the Jedi did not know the Sith existed. Dope. Uh, so theoretically, we're going to have some Rule of Two stuff going on. Okay. We know from Plagueis that right around the time of the High Republic, there was a Sith who turned to the light side and burnt a bunch of ancient Sith memor- uh, like memorabilia. Uh, memorabilia. <laughs> a lot Holocr- of t-shirts and hats. Holocrons and texts <laughs> and things like that. Like set, uh, set the Sith back trinkets many centuries. Yes, trinkets. Um, so memorabilia. The, so there's, I'm really excited Artifacts. to see what they dive into there because like, I, I think it'd be really cool to have like a completely under the radar like secret oh, Sith TV show. Incredible. I'm totally down for that. So there's... Um, um, there's this, uh, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but there's one more that's kind of more focused on, I think, uh, like no force user type stuff, but we're going to learn a lot about it. But what, this is what concerns me as much as I enjoy the TV shows, they are all specifically targeting ancillary storylines, right? For good reason, because they're TV shows, you know, and there's shorter, smaller production budgets and that sort of thing. Um, I think it's obvious to me that the reason why they keep shelving all these projects is because of the fact that rise of Skywalker (laughs) bombed so horrifically. Yes. Right. So what concerns me is the fact that now we are at least four years post, right? Yeah. Cause it was 2019. Wow. So we are almost, we're almost four years post rise of Skywalker. Yeah. And they still don't know what they even want to do yet. I know. I know. And that th- that concerns me because like the answer has been so simple. Like stop messing with scale, stop messing yes. just focus on a new fresh storyline and a new yes. timeline and like pick it and go, you know? Yes. And for 4 years you haven't been able to figure something out that you want to do? No, it's wild. So there is a plus side and a downside to that. The plus side is is at least they're not just cranking They're out being cautious. Dog poo. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like I, I, for Lent, I'm trying to give up cussing, and I think I've cussed twice <laughs> on this 
pod. Anyways, uh, they're they're at least they're not cranking out dog poo poo. You realize if I drop an f bomb on your podcast, that reflects poorly. Oh on you. no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm associated with a sinner. I'll pray for you. No, but I'm just happy that they're not just cranking out absolute dog, right? So, so, so I'm down for that. But it is mind boggling. Like I would love to be a fly on the wall for those meetings where they're like, Hey, are we going to make a movie this year or next year or the year after? And then, or even start producing something. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like write a damn script. No, I know dude. At the end of the day, it's like, it needs to either go through John or Dave. Yeah. It's really that simple. Like period. I think they, cause I don't know the true, (laughs) true, true inner workings of star Wars or even Disney. Um, or, or even Disney, like I say that that's such a small thing, but like at the end of the day, I think John and Dave are the only people that can really be handed the reins for the direction that Star Wars needs to go. And it makes sense. And, and we've said this again in the past, like right now, cause Disney owns Marvel, right? And, and Marvel's scale is absolutely ridiculous sometimes. Like I'm not sorry to everyone listening. Like I'm just not a Marvel fan. Like it just doesn't do it for me because the, the rules are so loose and the scale is just so ridiculous. Like Having stated that, though, if Disney wants to go crazy with Star Wars and make some ridiculous scale dog poo-poo like they had in episodes 7, 8, and 9, the High Republic would be a perfect opportunity for that because the scale— It's an era of scale. It's an era of scale. There's tons of Jedi, and uh, it's an era of scale. I think they could slightly get away with it more than what they could— um, I would even say going back further than that because the High Republic doesn't have the scale on the Sith side of things because um, oh, that's I still see. during the rule of two. Like I think, I think, but but to your point, the Mandalorian Wars, the yes. great, the Sith Wars, like crazy all scale. Uh, way back. That's where you have the crazy scale, and that's right. where you like there are like all these ancient like myths where it's like this Sith Lord dropped a moon on the planet and this Sith Lord like did this ritual that like took all the life force of all of the like Dude, literally the thought d- bomb? D- yeah the thought bomb is a the great example the thought bomb from uh, from Darth Bane is such a great example there's yes. there's the uh <clears throat> the whole the whole old republic video game series is based on this Darth uh I'm, I'm blanking on his name now, but he was essentially considered one of the greatest Sith Lords of all time. But he was a Sith Lord who grew up on Korriban, who like killed his own parents, but then at one point like did this ritual that like put the life force of all the Sith on the planet into him. Like like <laughs> the, the point is is there's ridiculous crazy scale. yeah there's ridiculous scale back then. There's you know Nagasada like sitting in his like you know, meditation sphere, like commanding his fleet from the, like, yeah, there's dude. all this like really What's cool called? stuff. Battle can, meditation. Yeah, battle meditation. Like there's so, so much, awesome. there's so much cool stuff yes. that they can get into there that, that I, but Just when I read the article, all I thought was like, I'm a little bummed because like to be still yeah. at least two and a half years away at a minimum yeah. from a movie. And that movie is a freestanding movie. That movie is not set up as a, as a trilogy or anything mm. like that. So I just, I hope they figure it out soon, man. Because I, yeah. I, as much as I'm enjoying all this other stuff, like, like at the end of the day, like I think Star Wars has such a robust history that they can dive into. Yes, and and like you, you know what, and you know what, the other thing too, they don't all have to be box office smashes either. No, they just need to be quality product. You know yeah, what they I mean? do. And and t- you and I have talked about this. Like, you and I kind of grew up in in a funny era of synthetic. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, like you and I grew up with with like a lot of things synthetic. Like, for example, like flooring is fake wood, and and like a lot of things are just like made to look like things, and like, and and that's kind of like the way that our society has gone. Like, even with movies, like it almost feels like synthetic and fake and cheesy, and 
and it like looks good. But then when you really think about stuff, it's just like, ah, is it really that good? And people are finally, I think, changing again and going away from more quantity and going towards quality now. And, and I'd like to see even movies go that direction because I think people have really lost interest in like modern day movies. Like, I'm sorry, but like a lot of movies just don't interest me like they used to. And it's just because it feels so fake and cheesy. So like if Star Wars can, can not just try and do like some smashing crazy box office, uh, like blowout. I think that they do better over like the long term because more people would actually have true fandom. Like, like for example, I'm about to have a kid, and he's going to be probably two years old when the next Star Wars movie. That's comes crazy, out. dude. And we'll be able to watch it with him. Like, that's that's insane. Like, that's to crazy. think about that timeline, like it's absolutely insane. So this kid is going to grow up with the next movie that Star Wars makes, and I hope that they don't go for some cheesy, ridiculous dog poo. I hope that they go towards like true star wars like can we have him on the pod absolutely <laughs> dude he's gonna be making his own poopers on the pod probably <laughs> all right so we're we're coming up on 40 minutes so let's get okay. moving on to the bad batch episode right, we can so, be quick yeah, you're fine so i uh so the the latest bad batch episode essentially is the story of i looked at it as the story of crosshair's final straw with the empire yes i mean literally killed somebody <laughs> I know that was so cool. <laughs> yeah. So, so this episode was cool. It was desolate. It was cold. The music was incredible. Like the music was the essence of Star Wars, right? Like music really gets me stoked. I think Mandalorian kind of misses that a little bit. By the way, the like uh, they have like a lot of like electric guitar in Mandalorian, and it just kind of throws me off just a little bit. Um, I know you're an electric guitar guy. Um, just a hater up here. I know, right? A, no, I love electric guitar, but it's like, I like... I, I don't like it. It's not a see. Star Wars appetizer. Not, yeah, yeah exactly. So um, not not to get down that, but the music was incredible. It was like super moody and cold and desolate. And then we meet Lieutenant Nolan, which is like the next generation of what is the Empire. And it's just obvious that the clones are just being, you know, just discarded. And, and you're totally right. Crosshair had his last straw, and he literally shoots a lieutenant in the chest in front of, in front of what? Yeah, he's the lieutenant. He, the guy he shot was a captain, I think. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Because remember, he was like, I think, he, no, think you're, you're probably right. You're yeah. probably right. Yeah, you're probably um, right. And he shoots Lieutenant Nolan in the chest in front of like 50 TK troopers. Yes. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. I think passing out worked to his benefit too, because it ended up keeping him alive. Now, did he get, probably. he got dragged to that same cloning facility, right? That chick is the same chick that was working underneath that doctor who's working with oh, the cloners. I think you're right. Yeah, that planet oh, where they're dealing with the not, what did, what did you did call not. what'd you call the the energy monster again? Oh, the Willow Beast. Yeah, so that that facility that was dealing with the Willow Beast and dealing with the two people from Camino. I'm pretty sure the doctor, the main guy, there's a female that works underneath yeah, him. Right. I'm pretty sure that's who was talking. And I think they're examining. I think they're like examining him. I think I think you're right. Um, maybe. Maybe Bad Batch goes in Clone Force ninety nine. Maybe they go in and save him. Perhaps he would need to find a way to get a message to him. But I would say that that's the the predictable next step. Is that this is a Bad Batch raid of that facility, or or they're just going to do some bullcrap episode for Sid and go steal some pirate loot. Yeah, exactly. Or <laughs> or more random pirate loot. Or they're going to go pod racing. <laughs> yeah, Sid has to win. Or Sid makes Omega get in the cockpit of a starfighter yeah. for a starfighter race. Omega cleans floors of Sid's bar. <laughs> Dude, actually, so uh, and and um, so not to get down a rabbit hole, I hope that next episode matters 
uh, in in Bad Batch, and I hope, I hope, hope, hope next episode matters in The Mandalorian. If they did, it would have to. How the quest, heck could they possibly get away from that, dude? You never know, though. They they might throw some crazy like or like lame side quest in there. Like, well, it, well, it could, do that, it could literally be that they're sitting on the beach, and then the Mythosaur never actually comes out, and so they're like, oh, well, we know he's down there, and then yeah. let's go do other shit, and then we'll I come know, back, like, and yeah, yeah, that's always a possibility. Um, uh, shoot, what was I gonna say? Oh, and then the last part too, seeing the dynamic of Mayday. The clone that was like that was a cool scene, dude. That was that was like like almost heart wrenching. Like he Mayday's in that facility, and like literally these clones. There was probably twelve of them, uh, all but three are dead, including Mayday. And they've essentially devoted the last few years of their lives and literally their lives to guarding this cargo that they thought was was some sort of important. high importance yeah. and all it was was a bunch of like armor and helmets and it's just like oh my gosh like for for the soldiers that would replace them yeah yeah it's it just, was, oh, it's just... mayday was like a great example of what makes uh of some of the narrative uh versatility you have from something like clones yeah because you get to keep bringing back this same character with this familiar look and this familiar voice uh-huh. and each time you can like kind of tell a new a new story with that specific yeah. clone and like Mayday was like this completely unique storyline of this like he's like kind of grizzled he's got this dope beard he's yeah. like he's like I fought my entire life for the empire for the the republic and yeah. all this crap I f- f- I fulfilled my mission and and it was kind of just a really good way for them to like one final time prove to Crosshair yeah. that these dudes are like cuz at the beginning it's very it's very clear to Crosshair like when they initially are chasing um Kane and Jarrus uh, or Caleb Doom, I should say. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very clear there's an immediate schism that occurs between, like, what Wrecker and and Hunter and all of them think about what's happening yeah. and what Crosshair thinks. That, like, is right. an immediate schism. And you need to you need to kind of rebridge that gap somehow. And the only way to do that is to get through to Crosshair through the computer chip, essentially. Yeah. Like, dude, like, they are they are not the people you should be serving. The Empire's you know? trash. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Empire's trash. Uh incredible episode. It was it was nice to have a meaningful episode. Um and and I think I think so far if I had to summarize the Bad Batch season 3, I'd say or is this 2 or 3? 2. 2. Season 2. Yeah, you're right, 2. Uh that it's literally a story about the clones being discarded. Yep. I think that's like literally the main aspect that we've seen so It's far. telling the transition between the two. Yep. And it's it's been good. I've enjoyed it. I I love how dark it's been. Yeah, it's yeah. It's been Aside from the random side quests. Aside from the random Sid side quests, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's it's been good. Yep. All right, guys, that's all we have for today. As always, we sincerely appreciate your support, and yeah. we will see you next time. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys.